Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Director of IBM Digital Assets and CTO of Portal. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to Beyond Bitcoin. More often than not, I say it's a special edition, and it is again today, because our friend and colleague Nitin Gower is in Davos in Switzerland. And so today, the report's coming from Davos. Hello, Nitin, how are you going? Hey, Derek, glad to be here, uh, early in the morning here, and uh, certainly an exciting time, beautiful weather, great place. So couldn't, you know, wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's fantastic. I'm so interested to get your perspective about what's happening because, you know, we've done a little bit of looking at here. And so we understand that it's the first time that Davos has happened for the last two years, of course, because of COVID. There's about two and a half thousand attendees. So a little more subdued than I understand the earlier Davos, Davos's were. Um, and this time, of course, without snow, um, you know, it's Switzerland. Either way, it's gorgeous, right? I know. <laughs> and and I, I think your official number of uh, 2,500 people, I think it's a tad bit more because I think the recorded number is of the traditional World Economic Forum attendees, uh, but you have a lot bigger audience from the blockchain ecosystem uh, that's present here. So it's certainly, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I've been into Davos before and during winter, as you know, this event usually happens in January when you have snow all over. And it's quite interesting because everybody is struggling to walk on the sidewalks and, and, and the slopes because, you know, uh, it's just cold and it's, you know, it's ice. But this time it's just green all around. It's beautiful. I took some time to hike and explore the nature around here. And so it's, you're absolutely right. It's beautiful no matter when you're here. Oh, that's one of my favorite places is, is Switzerland. So like normal, let's start with a bit of a helicopter view of all of this. So, you know, we know because I've been looking at some of the panels that's happening at Davos, we know there's a lot of talk about interest rates. There's a lot of talk about inflationary trends, the cost of food, the cost of fuel. And then, of course, there's talk about, you know, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. But what is the sense? What's the pulse there at the moment? Are they, are they sort of, are they deeply concerned about a, a, a pending recession? Um, they could frozen around a technical recession concept. Or are they sort of clear-eyed about um, looking forward and, and, and looking at issues of climate change and, and economic growth? What do you think the sense is at the moment in Davos? So I, you know, I generally think that the traditional audiences of Davos, which is you know, economic, you know, economists, politicians, uh, businessmen, leaders, and, and, and thought leaders, they are generally upbeat about it. And, and I think that's just the thematic element of being here um, and talking about the positive element of the world and, and the concerns that they need to address. So I think in talking to some of the business leaders, and I've been to many of the, you know, as the, in Davos, you have what they call as country houses. So every country is representing themselves and they have their chief ministers and they have their prime ministers and, and delegates. And if you were to talk to them, there's a general sense that we need to fix it. But there's also a general sense that there's, this is going to be behind us in some time and we should be able to think positively about the future, right? And so I think um, that has been the resonating theme and I've been to at least, I think, 17, 18 different you know, representations and, 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 and sessions of the country leaders who've been talking about this, including 
the policymakers and and the regulators around the world, especially around the stability uh, with stable coins and and stability and impact of what what blockchain has done and what the, you know what crypto assets have done, and has the potential for future. So that has been the case, but there are other thematic elements. Of course, uh, the focus has been on equality and building a tolerant society, uh, which means you can walk into any of these uh, you know these uh, the houses and engage in a conversation, have a coffee, have a snack. They're quite open and quite receptive, uh, regardless of your of your background, regardless of your appearances, which I think is a very positive element. There's also, of course, um, you know, Ukraine and Russia, which has been a dominating conversation. Uh, we've seen this both in terms of economic inclusion agendas. We've seen this in terms of money transfers. We've seen this element in terms of moving aid, uh, which has been, again, you know, the traditional players of, you know, like PayPal and Ripple, but also the newer players who are looking into saying, what can we do in terms of moving crypto as a, at, at a much faster pace, which is what mm -hmm. we had seen uh, in, in the event. And, and how do you, the, the entire messaging around, uh, you know, bypassing sanctions was head on uh, addressed, which I thought was fantastic to be able to have the conversation. Uh, and I'll say one more thing before I pause, uh, Derek, there, there were two booths or two sort of, uh, you know, houses that had the most amount of security. One was Ukraine, which made sense. You had to go yeah. through a metal detector and scanners and everything else, the traditional airport have security. Yes. And the other was Meta, which is the Facebook. <laughs> and I couldn't make sense of this at all. I'm like, if you aspire to build an inclusive society, you could not get in if you don't have an appointment, which was such a counterculture to crypto and metaverse, which is meant to build communities, which is meant to... Uh, and I just could not understand that. I don't know why they had armed guards and they had, which is telling too, I think, uh, in terms of how you build communities and how you build a reputation around your product. Um, uh, you know, so it is super interesting from that perspective. And there was another, since I don't think there was presence of Russia for obvious reasons, but there was another house that had a Russia war crimes house, uh, which yes. was basically talking about the atrocities that, are, that have happened during this uh, invasion of, of Ukraine which to me was not just saddening, but to look into some of the numbers and the ground truth in every state, every region, uh, it was just, um, you know, the reality just sinks in when you see, yes. uh, you know, that from, um, you know, while you're here. So again, yeah. a lot happening and a lot to absorb, not just from crypto and blockchain perspective, but a humanity and, and how we progress as, as, as human society in general, I think. It's so um, telling that blockchain development and blockchain technologies are playing a substantial role in such a global head elite community section. It's like, yeah. it, it, this, is, this is an industry capitalized to what, 1.3, 1.5 trillion dollars. Um, it's not exactly the oil and gas industry. You know, it's not, a, not exactly major tech, yet, yet there they are. And you were telling me that every second house sort of thing is a blockchain um, house, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so how extraordinary, and I think how insightful <laughs> is it that this, this technology, which is really a foundation of, of the ability to formulate transactions and build businesses and what we've often called sovereign states around these particular layer one protocols, um, is getting yeah. looked at like that just in Davos. It's getting treated the same way. Is, is that a reasonable thing to say? Uh, no, absolutely, Derek. And I think on this show, we've we've talked about this several times and comparing the global economic system to what blockchain is enabling. We've also compared layer one protocols 
to nation state status, right? Every country is trying to attract capital and talent to grow and to be attractive place to do business. And it's, it's quite evident at this point in time that you find like every country is sponsoring their own, uh, you know, location, their own, you know, uh, value proposition. And so is NFT marketplace. And so is a layer one protocol, the emerging, I mean, there's a whole web trio with Polkadot and there's a blockchain hub, which is when I spoke yesterday, which is, you know, Casper Labs is one of the emerging blockchain sort of labs, which is trying to, again, position itself as layer one for enterprises mm-hmm. so, and attracting, again, talent and capital from around the world. They, most of them are truly global companies. And so to me, it's surreal. Uh, and it has been surreal for the past few years uh, in terms of the traditional establishment elitists, um, not inclusive in many cases. Of course, there's a logistical challenge too. It's not just because they only want the politician. There are security issues because they are uh, politically exposed uh, people who are here and they have to be protected. I, I get all that stuff, but I think uh, the alt establishment, which by the way, they have the same goal. So if you look at the World uh, Economic Forum's goals from its inception, it's been to change and to improve the world you know, to the state of the world. That's, that's mm. their agenda, whether it's economics, environment, climate, uh, human rights. Um, and I think the old establishment has the same agenda as let's improve the state of the world uh, using technology, using uh, you know, inclusion, the power of building global communities. So that theme of, again, equating these blockchain infrastructures and the projects, um, whether it's cultural element to it or whether it's financial element to it, is trying to have the same messaging Accept the 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 progress and uh, the uh, the agenda and how the approach is, is quite different. It's not just purely policy driven. It's basically a grassroots effort to say, "Come and join us and let's build with us." You don't need to worry about policies at the moment. Let's go and figure this out first. And at that point, once the model is proven, then we'll we'll join hands with policymakers and helping them understand as to where this is heading. I think. So, you know, one of the topics you said was quite prevalent in the main political area was that of equality, um, gender yeah. equality, equal opportunity equality, um, which is superb to see and interesting that it's become an important topic this year. Um, and one thing that we've always spoken of along the way is the fact that you know, the world of, of um, blockchain, the accounting system that enables the transfer of providence instantaneously across the world with blockchain is a leveler. And the ability to be able to fractionate assets and share value all around the world is probably the first time in history that such a thing has occurred. You could really argue that the blockchain technology was the great equaler, the great creator of equality. No, no absolutely. And you know what's interesting, Derek, and I've been, I've been looking at this since, uh, of course, I've been coming to Davos since the inception of the blockchain uh, events, which is, again, a separate pavilions that are dedicated to blockchain projects. Uh, and usually it's, it's, it's right opposite to the things, the Congress where the actual event happens, which is symbolic, uh, but also as a space constrained environment. So you have to just make the best of what you have uh, from that perspective. But what's interesting about economic inclusion and unbanked and underbanked conversation. Yes. That, and I've been in this space for quite some time, both in mobile payments, uh, as I was building the infrastructure yes. for modernized banking, being to Colombia, being to many countries and trying to understand what is the real reason why you have the you know, situation around underbanked and unbanked situation. What's interesting, and I've been to at least like seven or eight sessions with, again, world leaders, technology leaders, uh, folks who are you know, tasked with addressing the problem officially. 
that now blockchain has become a central to that thematic element. It's become central to, to saying, you know, hey, you know, we see um, DLT and Bish Lasser as the ability of wallets having an account and not having the need to deal with the, uh, the arduous process of opening the bank account, which has a digital mm. identity agenda. So mm. what's interesting this time is there's a general acceptance, um, even with the traditional establishment, uh, as you can see, the sun's coming up and it's brightened yeah. up uh, the room here, <laughs> is, is, is around um, that there's a general acceptance that blockchain is probably one of the solutions that we've been looking for uh, since the evolution of mobile devices. So the combination of, or the evolutionary element of the advent of mobile devices, smartphones, which and networking, which is the infrastructure, you know, the telco infrastructure that has has evolved, and now with blockchain as a transactional system, I think there's a general, you know, embracing of the fact that it's collectively between IoT, mobile devices, telco infrastructures, and blockchain will facilitate and enable the two billion plus people who are who are sort of outside or on the fringes of the existing economic system which I think was very, very elating to me as a technical professional, as someone who believes in blockchain and looking into the power of technology. To me, I just had a smile every time they talked about this because we were thinking like, we've been saying this for like eight years now, which is sinking in, which was made me very happy and, 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 and gave me a sort of satisfaction that we have been working towards something important. So um, I bet it does. Um, and you've been sitting on a number of panels there in Davos in the blockchain. Yeah. Maybe share with us what you think is the most interesting panel discussion you've had along the way there and why you think that's so. So I, I sat on a panel uh, yesterday at Blockchain Hub. Um, I was a guest uh, invited by Casper Labs. And um, they were looking into building enterprise blockchain which as you know in the in the industry enterprise blockchain is a bad word in fact i was mm. at the last, last week and <laughs> they uh, and i've dedicated the majority of my life in understanding the space technically but most largely in enterprise blockchain space and the the the, the messaging at permissionless in florida was in bear market blockchain enterprise surfaces up because you know the, the market is down the tokens the value is down suddenly blockchain uh, you know, again, you know, surfaces as a, as, as, a, as, a, but the conversation was a bit more serious where many projects are now taking the same technology, the same incentive economic model and trying to position to bring the financial ecosystem, to bring the retail supply chain to the same infrastructure, except that you have a layer of regulation, a layer of security, a layer of things that the traditional enterprise is used to, which is also positive in my opinion, because when that becomes ubiquitous, just like internet, become mm. you know became ubiquitous in how we did mm. business then you begin to see convergence between the what they call as permissionless blockchain world which is bitcoin ethereum solana the the layer one protocols and the enterprise world and uh, you know when we when we begin to see the, the the ubiquity of adoption of technology to me just a matter of time when you be, you begin to build bridges between these closed ecosystems that's that the enterprise blockchain is aiming to address and so the permissionless and a broader ecosystem Maybe um, give us a clarification. What is enterprise blockchain? Why is it different oh, that's to a great permissionless point. blockchain? Yeah, so permissionless blockchain, as the name suggests, is permissionless. You can mm. open a wallet, you can join, you can transact, you can participate without anybody's permission. When enterprise do business, and, and every business is a transaction business, you're always moving things of value, you're paying for something, you're receiving money, accounts receivable, you know, the entire element of doing business is usually protected, uh, protected in the past for competitive reasoning, protected for regulatory reasoning, 
that if you're a bank, you don't want your account information to be public. Uh, yeah. And banks are, are required to protect your information, protect your privacy to certain extent and, and look into nefarious activities and, and provide reporting, which has been sort of the, uh, the you know, I would say the rift and the challenge for the financial institutions to adopt this technology because there are all these things that they have to do to comply. Yes. And that's what we call as permission blockchain where you need a permission. You need to, when you go open an account, you're at the mercy of the bank to validate and verify you and uh, give you the privilege and honor of opening an account, which is not the case with opening a wallet as long as you have the know-how and access to internet. So I think that's the fundamental difference. And the debate between enterprise blockchain is that uh, blockchain as a disruptive technology is challenging every facet of how we do business to say, hey, if you're moving money, I don't need to go through 15 banks to move money cross-border. And that's a challenge, uh, except that the system has evolved for many reasons over time. And, and, and it's, it's serving us well. Yes, it has inefficiencies and head costs, uh, but the transformative power, so disruptive power is challenging that status quo. But the transformative power of blockchain is what in the, in the enterprise is trying to say, we can reduce the cost of transactions. We can make this uh, you know, cheaper, faster, better. And can we now not then pass the savings on uh, to our consumers? And that has been the debate uh, in the past decade or so with, between the permissioned or the enterprise blockchain and the open blockchain ecosystems. Really, but what's interesting talking, about go ahead please yeah so really if you're talking about the simple unemotive aspect of blockchain as we said before there's simply a providence validation system there's simply a replacement yeah. of double entry bookkeeping and when we say that in a simple way it's nice and simple to consider it but double entry bookkeeping manages absolutely everything in the world True everything unless you're in a village and you're bartering you know pork for eggs um it's on a double entry bookkeeping system right um sure. and and so therefore when you're talking about um enterprise-based blockchain and open open source blockchain um or permissionless blockchain you are just talking about different methodologies to run accounts on and one which is going to be run by um, an enterprise which is not bad because someone has to often take risk to seek reward and produce infrastructure um, and, uh, and a permissionless one where they've worked out a way of being able to um, share that risk and reward basis with the community and generate it. But they are both simply operating on an accounting system. And the fact that you're Correct. saying that both are merging together um, indicates that this, the concept of it being becoming ubiquitous, like within five years, many of our transactions being on it, and in 10 years, most of our transactions being on it, but not even knowing we're on blockchain, that has to include enterprise and it has to include open source really, doesn't it, to make it work well? No, absolutely. And that's exactly what it is, right? The various sort of what we call as a batched relay system, because these accounting systems that you talk about are embedded into deep into the enterprise. Every businesses have their own ledgers and they have their own accounting systems. And as you move things of value, uh, again, the double entry accounting system, the asset liabilities, uh, they have to match, they have to balance. So this has been evolving for centuries, right? And of course, we've digitized that entire mm. process, but they're still uh, deeply ingrained in this, this closed systems, which a company or a business manages. And you need relays of these to move value. So if I'm moving a value from me to you, from my bank to your bank, or from my supply chain entity to your supply chain entity, it has to go through the system of moving 
value from my enterprise ledger to your enterprise ledger. Yes. And open source, again, what we're trying to do with DLT and blockchain is, and that's again, um, you know, in, in this entire spirit of the impact, the economic impact, you mentioned inflation and you looked into money supply systems and what's causing all this, including the war in some of the biggest commodities market in Russia and Ukraine and agricultural space had shed light on supply chain too. So how do you make supply chain more resilient? How do we make, and supply chain is no different from what you mentioned. These are again, bookkeeping and ledgering between how we move grains and commodities from one port to another port. So, so from a systems perspective, uh, these distill down to the same tenets of trade, trust, ownership of assets. And mm-hmm. whether we tokenize them or digitize them uh, has been a general sort of, uh, you know, again, embracing of technology to say, can we move fast enough? Uh, because today it's, it's Ukraine and Russia. Uh, and with all that's happening around the world, it could be some other region. And as we have globalized, which is another theme as, as I'm talking about globalization, Derek, that um, there's de-globalization conversations happening too. That are we in this position because we have focused so much on, on, on efficiency that we have completely ignored resiliency, which is the debate of, oftentimes economists have uh, between efficiency and resiliency, that if you make things more efficient, then you lose out on resiliency. And there's a conversation in parallel happening in how do we achieve a balance between deglobalization where we can still rely upon local supply chains, local access uh, to things, which you know many projects have just stopped because the economic value of mining or economic value of producing something simply didn't match up with some other place in, in, the, you know, in the world. So while Switzerland is still focusing on chocolate and milk, an amazing environment, um, you know, we, you know, it's quite possible that you could get this, uh, you know, some, you know, from somewhere else. So I'll pause here for a minute. So okay. these are really, this is the reason I first entered this industry because I became mesmerized by just whatever difference it's going to make both economically and socially worldwide. I know that sounds altruistic. It's just a fact, though. I did, and and it really is great to hear that happening right now in Davos because. You know, right now, the, um, the marketplace, the crypto marketplace, of course, has dropped substantially. Um, and in many cases, a lot of the well-known tokens are down 70 and 80%. It's an extraordinary yeah. um, readjustment sure. of that. <clears throat> and, you know, I often think that old saying says, you know, when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. Right? And I'd, I'd like to argue that, you know, in the case of crypto, um, you know, uh, when the tide goes out, all of a sudden, all the bottom-dwelling naysayers appear. You know, they come out of the mud and, uh, and they start writing articles, which essentially, as much as they might try and sound sophisticated, just sound like I told you so, um, which is <laughs> ext- extraordinarily short-sighted. I mean, we have a newspaper here in, in, um, in Western Australia called The West Australian. And, um, oh, my gosh, it's, it's, it's not good enough to wrap your fish and chips in, frankly, but nonetheless, it does have the football <laughs> results in it. And, um, and, and so we see articles in that that are really two months out of date normally um, and extraordinary discussions about demise of, of um, this space because, of course, the whole thing is a Ponzi scheme. And so... It's such a huge jump getting built up.
upon blockchains and and um, <clears throat> and sharing um, equality. Do you see some of the naysaying occurring? So, not a lot, and maybe because I'm spending all my time in blockchain spaces. Um, and when you go to the uh, the traditional sort of you know country houses, as I mentioned earlier, the house of Ukraine or the house you know India economic, I think the the thinking there is they're actually inviting projects because by moving projects, let's say to India, the India's touting talent. I was in India house being an Indian. Yes. I just want to be plugged in. And they're saying, hey, come and build these projects in our country. Uh, you know, and they touted their, you know, it's what's also amazing, Derek, is many of the countries are touting the regulatory stance on crypto and blockchain to say, hey, we are friendlier than that country. Come and build yes. here. Come and open a business here. And to me, I don't think there's any naysayers on i think it's saying yeah it's ups and downs and i think many of us who have been in this space and saying you know hey, it's still a big experiment we are every time a pro project goes bad to me it's it's a it's a case study to what not to do uh for the next project and and over yes. time we have a normalizing effect from that you know from that perspective and while we're talking about blockchain and everything else i think the conversation i'm going to have and and i i think it was announced that i have moved my new career, my job to State Street, which is the world's largest custody bank. So I've been invited now with uh, some of uh, you know the industry players. I'll, I'll be speaking with Securency, which is an asset tokenization platform for uh, crypto, you know, capital markets infrastructure, uh, on Ooh. much more deeper topics in terms of liquidity. Um, you know, traditional liquidity has been purely in terms of dollars and cents, and how does mm. money move? Suddenly now, the notion of liquidity has expanded its definition from what does it mean to give tokens value that all the things that we talk about at portal asset management in terms of um, you know the ability for them to be able to um, move value between ecosystems and how does that uh, deal with uh, what's liquidity in one ecosystem like bitcoin and how does it translate into liquidity in another ecosystem and what does it mean to wrap a token uh, and it's completely foreign concept in our traditional world because we are either dealing with a foreign exchange or fx which is completely translating currencies or using with world reserve or basket currencies, uh, which is like USD is a, is a, you know, is a, is a step through currency that if you're dealing with two disparate systems, USD becomes a common uh, bridge between the two. Completely, you know, uh, you know, interesting concepts around how does it impact the capital markets of tomorrow? And so I'm looking forward to that conversation. It's actually tomorrow. Um, uh, it's probably also my last day here at Davos when I head back to doing some real work because this, these events take an enormous amount of time from that perspective. I had uh, coffee this morning with a traditional equities manager and, um, and, and I always enjoy the coffees with them. He's a nice guy. And he consistently said to me, oh, yes, but there's really no underlying assets to any of these things. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, it's, it's that old story about, you know, learning to fly an aeroplane and the fact that if you know how to fly, drive a car very well beforehand, it'll take you longer to fly the aeroplane because your knowledge has to be undone. Um, but um, this concept uh, is still there. How do you think you can communicate to that traditional world? Because you're in it now, Nitin, um, of the fact that um, this isn't just about um, an asset backing system. This is this is more about algorithms and their generation of returns, et cetera, et cetera. I'll let you discuss that. But how do you communicate that across? Yeah, I, I think the, the best thing we as an industry can communicate is simplify. Because simplification is the best way to educate and, and explain things. And we have oftentimes labeled this, this 
you know, revolution as the fourth industrial revolution. So, you know, yes. back in the day, you know, when we had things, as you mentioned with butter, move to industrial economies and the move to information economies. Now we're moving to value, you know, economies. Um, in every every transformation, we had the same challenge. What's the underlying asset? Same thing with when we had an industrial revolution, commodities became a huge asset and it still have remnants around what we do with commodities because they're still needed to build things. But when we've moved to information economies, the way we used to value a factory, for instance, if you recall back in the day, in terms of your accounts payable, accounts receivable, assets, inventories, these were measures of how we valued uh, industrial era enterprise. Yes. In information economy, the valuation changed. Uh, you know, there were companies who had the leeway for 10 years without making any money, but the valuation kept going up because there was, there was upside potential in network effects. Um, again, uh, purely conceptual element, there's nothing underlying about how the valuation of these companies manage in information era. Mm. Uh, so again, we've seen this transform transformation from the first uh, industrial to you know to, to the to the um, to the revolution that that the the um, economic um, you know revolution uh, sorry uh, information revolution brought you know brought about, and I think that it's from the blockchain revolution that's the fourth you know as labeled as the fourth industrial revolution will have its own tenets, and we've seen some of the numbers. TBL is a number that's never used in mm. even the information economics world, the traditional you know finance world. Uh, we never looked into Bitcoin's days lost, uh, whatever that meant. What does that mean for, like, for example, all the hodling that happens in this space has an economic activity. So I, I see this as, uh, you know, creation of new vernacular, creation of new measurement systems. Uh, and that's still underway, I think. Mm. And so I would not so much worry about underlying assets. I would, I would more worry about what does that translation mean and what do we really value um, uh, as a society and, and, and what are we willing to put a price on it? Uh, just like we would put a price on anything in terms of, of human rights. Human rights is a value system. Mm. Um, you're not going to compare that to, to, you know, to dollars and cents, but you still need dollars and cents to make those systems work, you know, mm. I think. And that, that's how I would, I would explain that to many of the uh, folks who are looking for any underlying assets, because even if you were to look at underlying assets for the commercial paper or the gold that you buy that's custodied in Switzerland, well, how do you know it's custodied in Switzerland? There's a trust that you're relying upon based on licensing and you're still relying on some piece of paper or some website that that tells you that you have um, you know commercial paper that you know that that represents gold and gold is lying somewhere in Switzerland for example uh, that's you know a linked value system that we rely upon today I think yeah very true and also you know based upon the concept of how is the is the accounting system so accurate with the existing system that's right. that you can absolutely right. be sure that in fact that gold does sit in the vault in Switzerland um, and that's that's about providence validation, isn't it? Um, and right. so, so Nitin, uh, you've got another day tomorrow, um, and then you're back. Um, what do you hope as a roundup? What do you hope, and what do you expect you're going to be able to sort of ultimately sense and achieve from your visit here? Um, and 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 what do you think the blockchain community is trying to achieve? Um, you know, in its operations and its extraordinarily disproportionate size of existence in the Davos in, in um, World Economic Forum. No, no, absolutely. And what's funny is you cannot escape it. Every second uh, house is uh, hosted by some Web3 uh, entity, this Filecoin. Actually, Filecoin had, a, Filecoin had a massive presence with CNBC in a church. And I don't know what that meant, but it was, it was a super interesting conversation that happened. It actually rented a whole church. And uh, they had their sessions in a church. 
Um, so, it, so to me, it was just uh, what I would like to achieve, which I think was the case. One is the networking effect. You're meeting a lot of people that you've either connected on on LinkedIn and you've spoken to them for for many days. I, I met Michael Casey. I had dinner with him yesterday. It was oh, wonderful. It was fantastic to exchange notes and talk about our our good old days of when when he was uh, you know on the board of Portal uh, and in, in you know industry in general. So that exchange to me is very valuable because the exchange of ideas. It's an intellectual exchange that is such an important part of who we are because at the end of the day it's still a human effort and the the linkages that we all make in these events and projects that we work on whether we support them or debate the merits of these projects i think it's still uh, a in the intellectual phase which is an important part um, but what i've also i think achieved is met many business partners as you know i have moved from ibm to uh, you know one of the largest capital market infrastructure entities in the world and trying to understand that business, which will again, uh, learning is a big part of who we are as you know as as professionals. So, spending time with many business partners in understanding what is the existing challenges of existing capital market infrastructures, what are we really trying to solve? Because many DeFi projects are neither decentralized nor understand mm -hmm. what they are trying to disrupt. And I'm trying to bring a pragmatic element from industrial perspective to say um, that you know what we are solving, what the what the you know capital market industry is solving is much harder than writing a smart contract. So one part of my also agenda is attracting talent to say, hey, come and join us because if you really want to solve hard problems, uh, we'll give you hard problems because we're transforming a legacy system that has been evolving for hundreds of years. Yes. That is a problem to solve yes. at a technical level. So those are the few things that I had is uh, intellectual uh, exchange, uh, making the connections, uh, meeting people in person, forming the linkages, speaking to business partners, but more importantly, rallying a community around, um, you know, uh, a much more pragmatic approach to this as opposed to being a maximalist, which doesn't solve yeah. solve anything, is looking into saying, how can we solve this problem collectively and not focus on Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of those tokens, uh, you know, and yeah. that is what I want to achieve here. Uh, you know, it's so great to have this kind of conversation with you. Um, and that you're there and being able to sort of report back with a set of eyes that's seeing it hands-on. Um, I can't help but remember a time that I used to, um, you know, race sports cars as a gentleman amateur racer. Um, and, and, you know, I would get guys that really knew how to drive sitting in the car to try and teach me lessons. And the first thing that one of them taught me is they, they kept on flicking under my nose. They'd hit me with their finger and make my nose lift up because what they were doing is they were making me look ahead because as I'd enter a corner, traditionally you sort of want to look at the front of the bonnet of the car and you're dragging the whole thing around, right? But the reality is, is the exit yeah. is what it's all about. And so yeah. if, you can, if you can head into a corner at pace, jam the brakes on and lift your eyes immediately to see the exit, your corner becomes beautiful. And I don't awesome. think that's dissimilar to what we're experiencing here. We've got a market that's in the lows. Everyone is looking down at the bonnet of the car. And the reality is, where's, where is that corner going to come out? And I think, you know, Davos is talking about where the corner is going to come out. And it's refreshing that we might step away from looking at the short-term price volatility of this space and say, but that's where the whole industry is heading. What do you think? No, I, I think an amazing analogy, though I've never raced cars, I've been once on Kailani, which is in South Africa, racetrack, and I was scared because of the speed and everything else, and not as a racer, but, but the analogy I can certainly, uh, and I was, uh, my instructor did the same thing to me, of course, I only had two lessons there, uh, was look ahead, look ahead, you know, don't worry yes. about, you know, the turns, as, as long as you have the bearing, 
uh, of, of where you're heading. So I think the analogy that you described, Derek, is, is so apt, uh, both in terms of symbolism um, that Davos represents, but also in terms of what should be the outlook um, and what can we do to make it better, both in terms of economic systems, financial systems, but also understanding the space and having the right voices behind it, um, which, which I see all around, I think. Fantastic. All right. Great to be with you again and uh, and look forward to seeing you back on your home turf uh, next week. Look after yourself. Next travel week. Well. Uh, thanks, Derek. Take care. Bye. See you. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments or suggested topics, please feel free to connect with either Nitin or myself on Nitin at portal.am or Derek at portal.am. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week. Bye for now.